back to the book podcast and our journey with Proust. And uh, today we're going to continue reading. Uh, we are still in the in uh, the, the bedroom of Marcel. He just sent a little note through the maid, Françoise, to get his mother to come up so he can spend a little bit more time with her. But he's also a little bit troubled with his own <laughs> feelings and being a, a bit oversensitive and a bit... Uh, bit nervous or neurotic and he understands that this is creating a little bit of, of a, a worry for his parents and also that he understands that the other people might also react to this. So he's trying to keep it a bit of a secret. And then it continues. My mother did not appear. With no attempt to safeguard my self-respect, which depended on her keeping up the fiction that she had asked me to let or know the result of my search for something or other, made Françoise tell me, in so many words, there is no answer. Words I have so often since then heard the whole porters in mansions and the flunkies in gambling clubs and the like repeat to some poor girl who replies in bewilderment, what, he said nothing? It's not possible. You did give him a letter, didn't you? Very well, I shall wait a little longer. And just as she invariably protests that she does not need the extra gas which the porter offers to light for her and sits on there, hearing nothing further except an occasional remark on the weather which the porter exchanges with a messenger whom he will send off suddenly when he notices the time to put some customers' wine on the ice, so having declined Françoise's offer to make me some tea or to stay beside me, I let her go off again to the servants' hall and lay down and shut my eyes and tried not to hear the voices of my family who were drinking their coffee in the garden. But after a few seconds, I realized that by writing that line to Mama by approaching at the risk of making her angry so near to her that I felt I could reach out and grasp the moment in which I should see her again, I had cut myself off from the possibility of going to sleep until I actually had seen her, and my heart began to beat more and more painfully as I increased my agitation by ordering myself to keep calm and to acquiesce in my ill fortune. Then suddenly, my anxiety subsided. A feeling of intense happiness coursed through me, as when a strong medicine begins to take effect and one's pain vanishes. I had formed a resolution to abandon all attempts to go to sleep without seeing Mama and had decided to kiss her at all costs, even with the certainty of being in disgrace with her for long afterwards, when she herself came up to bed. The tranquility which followed my anguish made me extremely alert, no less than my sense of expectation, my thirst for and my fear of danger. Noiselessly I opened the window and sat down on the foot of my bed, hardly daring to move in case they should hear me from below. Things outside seemed also fixed in mute expectation, so as not to disturb the moonlight which, duplicating each of them 
and throwing it back by the extension forwards of a shadow denser and more concrete than its substance had made the whole landscape seem at once thinner and longer, like a map which, after being folded up, is spread out upon the ground. What had to move, a leaf of the chestnut tree, for instance, moved. But its minute shuddering, complete, finished to the last detail, and with utmost delicacy of gesture, made no discord with the rest of the scene, and yet was not merged in it, remaining clearly outlined. Exposed upon this surface of silence, which absorbed nothing from them, the most distant sounds, those which must have come from gardens at the far end of town, could be distinguished with such exact finish that the impression they gave of coming from a distance seemed due only to their pianissimo execution. Like those movements on muted strings so well performed by the orchestra of the Conservatoire that, although one does not lose a single note, one thinks all the same that they are being played somewhere outside, a long way from the concert hall, so that all the old subscribers and my grandmother's sisters too, when Swan had given them his seats, used to strain their ears as if they had caught the distant approach of an army on the march, which had not yet rounded the corner of the Rue de Trevi. Okay, so you see here, suddenly you get some of the bigger themes back again and kind of the those things that are the most impressive and, and beautiful and, and deep and rich with Proust, which is sometimes the, just the visual beauty and the sensitivity of the, of the scenes that he is describing. And uh, gradually there will also be kind of more of the philosophical, deep. So we'll see here from the beginning, like he's putting this in, as he's describing his early childhood as well, that you get the artistic, aesthetic kind of development from, from his earliest years. And also gradually there will be more of the philosophical part. So there is a, there's a nice movement when you move. There's a kind of, there's a connection here to how his very oversensitive nature and being neurotic creates a lot of problems for him as as he just <laughs> when he loses the, the kiss from his mother it creates all this anguish but that nature also enables him to see this these extraordinarily beautiful scenes and get to the deep of philosophical thoughts so there is something here that kind of it's <laughs> it will it's uh, something his sensitivity to nuance has so many different um expressions and He's now just showing some of them. I was well aware that I had placed myself in a position that which none could be counted upon to involve me in graver consequences at my parents' hands. Consequences far graver, indeed, than a stranger would have imagined, and such as, he would have thought, could follow only some really shameful fault. But in the system of education, 
which they had given me faults were not classified in the same order as that of other children, and I had been taught to place at the head of the list, doubtless because there was no other class of faults from which I needed to be more carefully protected, those in which I can now distinguish some common feature that one succumbs to them by yielding to a nervous impulse. But such words as these last had never been uttered in my hearing. No one had yet accounted for my temptations in a way which might have led me to believe that there was some excuse for my giving in to them or that I was actually incapable of holding out against them. Yet, I could easily recognize this class of transgressions by the anguish of mind which preceded, as well as the rigor of the punishment which followed them. And I knew that what I had just done was in the same category as certain other sins for which I had been severely chastised, though infinitely more serious than they. When I went out to meet my mother as she herself came up to bed, and when she saw that I had remained up so as to say good night to her again in the passage, I should not be allowed to stay in the house a day longer. I should be packed off to school next morning, so much was certain. Very good. Had I been obliged the next moment to hurl myself out of the window, I should still have preferred such a fate. For what I wanted now was Mama and to say goodnight to her. I had gone too far along the road which led to the realization of this desire to be able to retrace my step. So he's having a, a bit of second thoughts here now of his whole scheme or the trick to get her up to say goodnight one more time. I could hear my parents' footsteps as they went with Swan, and when the rattle of the gate assured me that he had really gone, I crept to the window. Mama was asking my father if he had thought the lobster good and whether Monsieur Swan had had some of the coffee and pistachio ice. I thought it rather so-so, she was saying. Next time, we shall have to try another flavor. I can't tell you, said my great-aunt, what a change I find in Swan. He's quite antiquated. She had grown so accustomed to seeing Swan always in the same stage of adolescence that it was a shock to her to find him suddenly less young than the age she still attributed to him. And the others were beginning to remark in Swan that abnormal, excessive, scandalous senescence meet only in a celibate, in one of that class for whom it seems that the great day which knows no tomorrow must be longer than for other men, since for such a one it is void of promise, and from its dawn the moments steadily accumulate without any subsequent partition among his offspring. There's a little... Uh, reference here to the whole time uh, theme when talking about what people see and what they project into others and and one of those key 
ways of detecting time is actually to see change in people, which will become a kind of a growing theme. I fancy he has a lot of trouble with that wretched wife of his, who lives with a certain Monsieur de Charlie, as all Combray knows. It's the talk of the town. My mother observed that, in spite of this, he had looked much less unhappy of late. And he doesn't nearly so often do that trick of his, so like his father, of wiping his eyes and passing his hand across his forehead. I think myself that in his heart of hearts he doesn't love his wife anymore. Why, of course he doesn't, answered my grandfather. He wrote me a letter about it ages ago, to which I took care to pay no attention. But it left no doubt as to his feelings, let alone his love for his wife. Hello, you too. You never thanked him for the asti. He went on turning to his sisters-in-law. So there's a theme here that the grandparents they don't approve of, of the marriage with Swan and his love, Odette. What? We never thanked him? I think between you and me that I put it to him quite neatly, replied my aunt Flora. Yes, you managed it very well. I admired you for it, said my aunt Celine. But you did it very prettily too. Yes, I liked my expression about nice neighbors. What? Do you call that thanking him? shouted my grandfather. I heard that all right, but devil take me if I guessed it was meant for Swan. You may be quite sure he never noticed it. Come, come, Swan is not a fool. I am positive he appreciated the compliment. You didn't expect me to tell him the number of bottles or to guess what he paid for them. My father and mother were left alone and sat down for a moment. Then my father said, Well, shall we go up to bed? As you wish, dear, though I don't feel in the least like sleeping. I don't know why. It can't be the coffee ice. It wasn't strong enough to keep me awake like this. But I see a light in the servants' hall. Poor Françoise has been sitting up for me, so I'll get her to unhook me while you go and undress. Okay, so we're going to stop it here and uh, we're going to see next time how this goes with the mother and uh, what is going to happen with <laughs> also with Marcel. So um, there's a bit of the, the dialogue and kind of the the way that Proust is experiencing both as a young and also kind of as he's growing up. Uh, some of this, um, the social life of the salons and this kind of middle, upper middle class or aristocracy of, of France in the late 1800s, which is gradually painting a picture of of uh, how it works and also Marcel's experience and in some sense also his, his uh, thoughts and impressions from it. Okay, so we're going to stop this one here. Hope some of this was interesting. Thank you as always so much for listening and see you again next time. <laughs>